welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. It's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. Hey, welcome to the Jeff Macalino podcast. I hope you like the new intro uh, from some edited audio of myself and uh, some prior guests and Nate Bargazzi, but we don't need to get into that. Thanks for joining me here. Today, I have Ray Buffer uh, on the podcast. Uh, and he was a lot of fun to talk to. He's got a lot of acting credits to his name, including uh, the one I uh, recognized him, I guess would be the best way of saying it, from, uh, because I'm obsessed with uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. So he talks a little bit about sharing the stage with Larry David and Ben Stiller. Um we also talk about some other things, but mostly about acting, but also, uh, you know, he was adopted at, uh, as he says, at the age of 29 days. Um, so some fun uh, conversation and some interesting and personal conversation. Uh, it was good to chat with him. Uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Quick shout-outs I have to give. Uh, Don't Watch Sober. Uh, that's a podcast I was on where we watch a terrible movie. And uh, <clears throat> I picked a movie based on the Groundhog Day theme. Uh, it's called Naked, starring one of the Wayne's brothers. Uh, and it was terrible. Uh, and I was quite drunk. Uh, but... I had a ton of fun with the two gals uh, I watched the movie with. Even though the movie was terrible, the fun was cool. Uh, so check that out. Don't watch Sober. Uh, and in all seriousness, if you plan on watching that uh, movie called Naked, don't try to watch it sober. Um, even drunk, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> All right, so before we hop into it, hey, shout out to the sponsor, Geology. This is an award-winning men's skincare company. They formulate customized skincare routines just for you using a handful of powerful, proven ingredients that have been trusted by dermatologists for decades. Uh, Geology is one of the only men's skincare companies to have retinol as an active ingredient in their products. I don't even know what retinol is. But if you suffer from acne, dark eye circles under your eyes, wrinkles, or sensitive skin, look no further. Go take Geology's 30-second diagnostic quiz, and their team of dermatologists will design and ship a regimen directly to your door. It's that easy. Uh, their uh, face wash, uh, they sent it to me along with their uh, Vital Morning Face Cream, their Repairing Night cream and their nourishing eye cream i'm probably going to end up giving the eye cream away to a bunch of people i know have dark circles under their eyes and thank god i don't yet check out geology use the link in the show notes and or promo code jmac50 but use the link in the show notes so you can get a deal and they know 
that I sent you there. Uh, all right. Hey, not a sponsor, but I've got to say, I uh, I either have or am about to release a video of uh, myself. Uh, I went on the Friends of Zeus podcast, and as a as kind of a bit, I was uh, happy to get the uh, Airland and Sea Burger from McDonald's, uh, and I did not know at the time because they were not running commercials about it constantly. That uh, that does not come together it comes as a big mac a mcchicken and a filet fish all separate and you have to put it together yourself which seemed disgusting to me but there i go uh being drunk uh and uh middle of the night ordering mcdonald's making the airland sea burger putting it together and uh making a video of me eating it and uh, I've got to say, you know, more than I, I put a post on uh, Twitter uh, saying I made a video review. Where should I post this? And the options were YouTube, TikTok, Twitter and nowhere you fat or you gross fatty. And uh, well, a plurality of people have picked nowhere you gross fatty, which. You know, thanks a lot, guys, uh, but more than 60 percent said you know either youtube tiktok or twitter so guess what that means more than half of you want to see it uh and i got a comment from uh participation trophy wife and former guest of the podcast dana Pereira, uh saying all of the above and uh former podcast guests and uh and people who've had me on their podcast as she has uh their vote counts like way more than the average person so uh it's probably going up somewhere soon so subscribe to me on youtube i'm almost certain to put it there uh, oh yeah and i did actually start a tiktok this past week that's embarrassing but it exists and uh i'm gonna try to try to see how that works all right anywho buy some geology skincare products so you can take care of your skin and Listen to me talk to Ray Buffer. Peace. All right, everyone. I am now very pleased to welcome Ray Buffer to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you, Ray? Doing good, Jeff. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, re recovering from a, a long Saturday. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, and you uh, you were born in Florida, correct? I was. I was. Where where exactly are you at? I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I was born in West Palm Beach, Florida, and uh, I lived uh, in South Florida most of my most of my early life, and then spent my final five years in Orlando, which is a little closer to you, and then uh, came out to California in 2000. Yeah, it's uh you you probably know those long days with a lot of sun. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I I can't I, I can't hate those days. We had a little rain here last night in the in the Long Beach, California area, which was nice because we needed it. But the um, St. Pete's beautiful. I mean, I, I love uh, that area, Clearwater, Bradenton, uh, you know, 
It's beautiful beaches, that Sanibel Island area. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and it's great when you have friends with boats too. <laughs> yeah, I, I have fond I, memories. I have fond memories of uh, kneeboarding uh, with with uh, some friends who had a boat. We used to go out on the lake there in Florida. Just have to dodge those brain amoebas, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's a fun place. Uh, I I could be a billionaire, and I don't think I would buy my own boat. I. I would rather buy a boat for a friend and let them take care of it. I think too, too much, too much concern about cleaning and, you know, generally. Yeah, I that's, that's, a, that's a challenge with ownership, right? Is, is ma maintaining everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that works with almost everything. It's a, it's a lot easier to rent from a certain responsibility aspect than it is to actually own yeah, absolutely. The, the the popular thing out here I see people doing is renting their RVs. People love to take road trips out here, so but they don't want to maintain their RV. Oh, yeah. No, that I, 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 that would be very similar to a boat, I feel like. Just a lot of... Yeah. My, my RV would look like the one in Breaking Bad real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Ride it hard, put away wet. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I know if it's profitable, I don't know if you'd be, you know, making crystal meth in your RV, but you know, you might might have might have some money there. I don't know. Yeah, if you can get away with it, it's it's probably a good financial use of a, of an RV. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I wanted to have you on. You've got quite a uh, an illustrious and long uh, IMDb page. Um. And uh, I, I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about how you how you got your start, how you got your foot in the door. Um, and I'll mention to people, I mean, you know, obviously these are early uh, roles in your career with with presumably small parts. Uh, but I mean, you've got some some of the things you've been in are, are major things. I mean, you've got a lot of. Uh, it, so sometimes you you talk to an actor whose you know biggest credit is you know Joe Blow movie uh, made in two thousand four. Right. Uh, I mean your third credit is uh, Ace Ventura. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and the funny thing is that was my first movie working uh, as an actor in in a movie. Um, and I mean actor, I, I use that term loosely because I was in my early twenties, and that was that was what you call an extra role or background, you know, where you don't have speaking lines, you just you're basically a prop that eats and moves around, you know? And, um, but that was a really cool experience. It's interesting you bring that up because I was just talking about it the other day. Um, I, um, I, uh, I met um, one of the guys who ended up directing the sequel to that and uh, had lunch with him. And I was just reminiscing about how that was like my first, my first ever foray into film or TV. Um, but, you know, I was living in West Palm and, the film shot in Miami and um, I was married at the time and my then wife and I, you know, drove whatever the hour and a half out to Miami just so we could be in this movie for like two or three days. And, um, you know, I got to meet Courtney Cox before Friends even came out. And um, I got to meet and see, uh, you know, uh, 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 who's Ace Ventura? Uh, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, and and um, and some other character actors too that um, 
um, Margulies, David Margulies, who played the doctor uh, in in the movie. Uh, he was a he was a really cool guy. But yeah, I, it's I when you look at my IMDb page, it might look impressive, but a lot of those are uncredited background roles that I did early in my career. Um, but they're, you know, they're stepping stones, they're building blocks. They, you know, you, what you try to do is create momentum and move from one thing to the other. Yeah. And it's gotta be, I mean, as far as learning the, the ropes of how to, I would say whether you're an extra or a, a lead actor, you, you probably have to learn a certain behavior for lack of a better term of how to act on set. Um, yeah. I feel like that by One itself, my, no matter what role you're in is, is great experience. And one of my favorite books, and I can't think of the author right now, but you might be able to look it up, but it's a book called an actor behave. And that was kind of my Bible. Like early in my career, I read that cover to cover and I still keep it around. But I, I, I encourage anyone going into this field to read it because it, it tells you the politics and, and the, you know, the, the inner workings, you know, that how you're just kind of a cog in a, in a bigger machine and, you know, how the things you do before and after an audition or before and after, you know, showing up to work, those are the things that people remember. And, and you know, that etiquette, that work ethic is what what drives your ability to get the next job. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that out. That's a, I, I feel like that's not just in the acting world. I feel like that's uh, uh, even, you know, stand-up comedy. I started doing that last year. And uh, there's a, you know, there's an attitude of, you know, be nice to the bartenders and the servers and exactly. stuff. Like it, yeah. it matters. Now I, I go the wrong way and I drink too much at the bar, but at least the staff likes me. I should drink less and, and have maybe, better interactions. Maybe, but... <laughs> maybe you're a nicer guy the more you drink. Maybe you're I, one of those guys. Yes, yeah, sadly, I think that's sadly I think that's the case. <laughs> Last night I uh I had um I was guesting on a podcast last night, so I left my friends they left on the boat i was going to uber home and the uber canceled on me and then it was 70 dollars for an uber so i oh. i get on the phone and call my sister who lives in the city i'm like i'll pay you 40 bucks to come pick me up and drive me home i gotta be on oh, a podcast <laughs> and uh you gotta, you gotta half off half off discount for the sister Oh yeah, yeah. That's a you use the promo code called family in the area. <laughs> um, but while I was talking to her, I had two people I had met at the bar walk by and offer to drive me home uh, that oh, wow. I just met, and I'm like, ah, see, I must have some charisma when I'm drunk. <laughs> yeah, or maybe you just buy everyone drinks and you forget it, you know, and, and until the credit card bill arrives. I might want to check my credit card. That that sounds yeah. like that could be the case. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I'd be remiss because one of your uh, credits is uh, one of my favorite television shows of all time. And you probably have an idea of which one it is. Um, Curb Your Enthusiasm, where you, you, you shared the scene with, with Larry David and Ben Stiller, which was, I remember that scene very much because I've watched Curb 18 times from start to finish i think um oh wow that's funny how was uh how was that experience because i've heard curb is a lot different 
than you know as far as not having a script right yeah it's largely improvised they have a they have an outline of like where they're going and what the plot points are but in terms of the inner workings the dialogue it's it's pretty much on the spot like you know what would you do if this happened kind of you know situations and um you know, I fell into that job, actually, that that was, I when I came to California in 2000, I, I was a musical theater actor. I did mostly theater, and, and so improvisation wasn't a big deal. I mean, I was used to being in front of a live audience and, and reacting to outside stimulus, but um, there was, I, I didn't know anyone here, and it, well, I moved here because my then wife had uh, gotten promoted from Disney World to Disneyland, so that's what brought us out to California. And uh, so I had to start over. And being a TV film area, uh, I started to focus on doing background work and work my way, you know, in through that. So after about three or four years, um, I got booked to be background, essentially, on Curb Your Enthusiasm. And um, I was sitting in in the holding area, and uh, one of the ADs came up to me and said, um, we hear that you used to be a stage manager. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I was. Um, for, you know, musical theater. And um, he's like, okay, um, someone would like to meet you and just talk to you about a, a possibility. I'm like, okay. So he said, okay, well, follow me. And I walk with him and, and he takes me uh, to Larry David's trailer. And um, basically it was a conversation. You know, they, they told me the plot point of the season that they're producing the producers, that Bell Brooks is in the season later on. And they needed someone to play the stage manager of this production. And I was like, well, you know, I've been a stage manager, so it wouldn't be, wouldn't be hard for me to improvise, right? And um, so they just threw some situations my way, and um, I said, well, I would do this, I would do that. And um, then Larry shook my hand, and he said, welcome aboard. <laughs> I was like, okay. So it was like I got a mul multiple episode deal out of it, but... Um, I'm really only in that one scene, that one episode, you know, because they, they film so much and then I think they write it sometimes in the editing room, you know, so um, it was it was a really cool stint and um, I thought it might have been the beginning of something bigger for me, but then a little bit after that, things just kind of fell off for me and I had to go back to just doing the survival jobs and, uh, you know, back then that we didn't have these this gig economy where you could have five part-time jobs, you know, I had to either have a salary position somewhere working for the man to, to pay the bills, or I could be a starving actor. So I chose to stop being a starving actor for a while and pay my bills. And, you know, I could kind of flip flop back and forth for a few years after that. Gotcha. How, I mean, how mentally, and, and maybe even physically, but mentally, it's got to be a bit of a drain I mean, unless you are a, you know, an Adam Sandler or a Tom Hanks or DiCaprio, you never know when or if the next job is coming, I would think. That's yeah, that's, that's kind of like how it, how it used to be for me. And um, I, I have to knock on wood if there was any wood around me right now. But, um, <laughs> you know, for the last three years or so, I've, I've been booking pretty steadily you know I, it's just a um it, it, i found it now to be just a game of odds you know if i audition for a hundred things maybe i'll book 10 of them you know so i just have to keep 
I have to keep sowing the seeds. I have to keep throwing myself out there, doing the self-page, going to the auditions, taking the phone calls, sending the follow-up emails, just keep the pipeline going in all its various stages. And fortunately, so far, I've been keeping my head above water, you know, and I, I think I, I didn't have the dedication to do that earlier, earlier in my career. And I also didn't really know what my gimmick was, like what yeah, I, I, friends have told me that I've grown into myself, that back in my 20s, I was this big lumbering guy with a baby face. And now I'm a middle-aged guy and the baby face has kind of a silvery beard on it now. So, you know, I, 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 I booked the kind of roles that they used to have to put makeup on me for to play in my 20s. So the joke is, you know, I've been playing middle-aged guys for like over 35 years, you know, because, <laughs> you know, I'm 6'4", I'm a big guy, I'm wide, you know, so it's, it's hard to hide me uh, on a, on a, in a small frame. And, um, you know, I either get typecast as like the thug or the bouncer or the sheriff or, you know, the big guy, the, the second uh, linebacker from the left or whatever, but um <laughs> I, I fight against that by doing student films and some lower paying um, SAG films where I can stretch myself or show myself in a, in a different light. And then but my, my motto is work begets work. So if I can keep booking work and keep showing that work to other people, then that attracts more work. So that's the, that's the theory, at least. Yeah, no, I, I like that uh, approach and that's, uh, I've had even in my own life where, uh, you know, I've done some acting on a comedy sketch show and sometimes it's like, I don't like this, but it's better to do it. Even if I don't think the script is funny and at least get the experience, I, I feel like, and I, you know, obviously it's a much lower level thing than what you're doing, but, uh, I feel like you, you, until you reach a certain point, you probably don't want to say no unless you, you know, absolutely detest morally what 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 maybe they're doing or something. Um, right. That's I, I don't know. I, so I, I I like to hear. Uh, it's nice to hear that because that's kind of been my attitude. What you know, with just kind of whatever comes my way, just say just say yes and do my best, and you know. Yeah, I mean, and I'm still kind of there. I still pretty much do anything. But sometimes, you know, maybe my inner editor looks at things and say, says to myself, well, wow, this is really poorly written. Do I really want to be associated with this? But then I think about the bigger picture, that not everybody is responsible for writing that script. And I'm going to, you know, encounter some, some ADs, some, some PAs, some, some directors, some, some makeup artists who are all going to go on to do other projects or, you know, they're all going to maybe graduate. And, you know, the, the third AD on this film might be the director of another film. So, you know, you're making connections. You're, you're, you're building your network of friends too. And, um, you know, you can maybe look back with them and say, Oh yeah, remember that crappy film that was written so badly that we did together and they'll laugh about it and you'll laugh about it. But hopefully there's a future project, you know, that you can, Sit, sit at and reminisce about those those times you know but yeah, yeah you just got to build it no that's 
that's good to hear it reaff reaffirms my uh philosophy i feel like and i like nothing more than than people reaffirming what i think in my own head so. <laughs> it's funny too you mentioned i was going to bring up um i was going to bring up the factor six four and and you are you know you're an imposing guy now especially with the beard um and uh i was talking because i'm i'm six two like I look like I'm 250, even though I weigh a little bit more than that. So I'm a big person myself. Uh, and I was talking to, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Nick Valonga. Uh, he did the Green Book. He won two Academy Awards for it. I was talking to him at a wedding. And uh, he's about my size, uh, except for probably 30 years older than me. And uh, okay. I'm like, I'm just guessing based on heights of, you know, a lot of famous actors, your acting roles, you're usually a big monster Italian, you know, mobster. And he's like, yeah, you can scroll down my IMDb page. Most of it is like giant thug. And, you know, again, he's a big guy, but he's not a, he's not freakishly large that you'd see him, you know, out in public. But in Hollywood, <laughs> he yeah. he's he's a giant. I made a joke to him. I'm like, hey, if you're ever doing another movie, you need a big Italian guy. He's like. Well, that would be my role. I'm like, well, a younger. <laughs> I don't know if he liked that. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think celebrities have have an issue with someone saying that someone else could be them or could be like them or could be their double or something. You know, there's there's a I don't know. There's like a weird vanity line there. I think maybe, but yeah, I, I don't feel that way. But uh, but yeah, I think Hollywood's gotten bigger. I mean, you know, we we don't have these 1920s doorways. Um, you know, that are built for the average human that was five foot six or five foot seven, you know, it's, it's um, there's a lot of six foot two um, leading man and, and even female actors out there now. I mean, it, it's it, Hollywood's taller. So I think the issue, though, comes with chemistry. It's like when they cast, you know, a bunch of five foot four people, um, they can't have a six foot four person in the same scene with them, you know, unless it's for comic effect. No. Yeah. Or they have lots of apple. Or they have lots of apple boxes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, it's, it's very interesting from, uh, from a visual perspective. Like anytime I watched Vanilla Sky, uh, with Tom Cruise in it, I watched that the other day, and I'm like, several scenes. I'm like, I wonder how they shot this to make him look like he was the same height as this other person I know is six inches taller than him easily. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting to think about after you've, again, even, even on a very low level, been on a set where it's like, I wonder what angles they were shooting from where they could hide him and what kind of clothing he's wearing <laughs> to, yeah, to no, not there's look. There's a lot of, lot of, a lot of hidden movie magic. We always talk about CGI and special effects, but there are a lot of things that cinematographers do that, that are genius that we don't even, we don't even realize are happening when we watch something. Yeah, that's uh, the the movie magic that uh, that I don't think I'd ever be capable of being one of those guys, but I I respect the hell out of them. Uh, you're uh, I, I so I wanted to ask you, and you had mentioned that you know work's picked up lately, uh, and I don't know if it's a complete coincidence, but it it seems like again looking after your looking at your IMDb page, you have been busy as hell, kind of since the COVID stuff was 
passing by. Uh, I don't know if that's just coincidental timing or or if you had a, a, yeah. a shift in philosophy or what, but yeah, you've been busy, it, it, it appears. Yeah, I, I have, I have, and I, I, I don't, I haven't figured out the reasoning for it either, because a lot of a lot of my peers that are also trying to get book work, you know, they went, they were dead during COVID nineteen, and I was I was chugging along, and then there was a time in in what I think early last year when we all demasked for about three months, and then we had to put them back on, and they were saying, oh, the industry is going to be popping again, and for those three months that we were unmasked, I wasn't working, and then. Um, you know, back in March, I started picking up work again. So uh, I don't, I don't know if it's tied directly into the pandemic or if it's just, I don't know, timing or, or you know, being in the right place. But a lot of the work I've been booking, though, recently has been mostly commercials, um, and so that's that's been nice um, because you know, I, I when you look at my older IMDb credits, if that's what you're 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 gauging it on, I didn't have a lot of commercials. And so really a lot of, a lot of the stuff, I'd say maybe 70% of everything I've booked in the last two or three years has been commercials of some sort. Um, so now, I, now that I feel I've done that, I'd like to get back into doing some of the episodic kind of work, just even if it's going in for, you know, a three or four line part and, you know, showing up for one day. Um, if my, my, my target goal though is to become a season regular on something. I mean, I, it could be as simple as being a bailiff on a court show or, you know, something like that where you, you, you show up every every episode, but you maybe only have one or two lines. But that would be a nice next step for me, I feel, you know, and, and, and I'm not trying to be too, uh, too ambitious and, you know, want to be like the lead in some uh, some new new series. You know, it's, it's like I I believe in baby steps. I believe that you got to be realistic in your goals too and set them appropriately. And so I, I really feel the next step for me is to do those little guest starring roles or, or little small bit roles that are maybe a season regular. Gotcha. The uh, it's interesting. It, the, the TV world is, is I feel like it's shifting a little bit with, uh, with all of the streaming providers and uh, the, the Netflix model, for instance, seems to be like, no matter how much of a hit a show is, it's like you've got two seasons unless you're Ozark. Then you get four seasons. Uh, <laughs> it seems to be shifting. Uh, now I say that, but Grey's Anatomy is on its 127th season. Uh, but <laughs> they, they do seem to be getting uh, shorter, with some exceptions. They do seem, to me, like series are getting shorter, which I'm not sure... If that's good news for actors or bad news, because there are hypothetically more parts coming available more frequently with shorter runs, but obviously there's not long-term security if your show's only going to last two seasons. Yeah, I think the I think you know some of them are flashing the pans. You know, sometimes you know there's there's a series that that looks like it's really good quality, and the network still doesn't pick it up for a second season. So. And the seasons are also shorter too. You notice they're they're like maybe eight episodes in a whole season, or ten episodes. Whereas you know back in the days of network TV, I mean you, you had twenty six episodes or something in a in a mm -hmm. season. Um, so the seasons are shorter. Um, you know I, I just think it's production companies hedging their bets, just saying, well, 
this is what we're willing to invest in, in to see if this this thing has legs and um, if it does we'll renew it if it doesn't then we've got 15 other projects you know on the back burner that we're gonna you know throw a pilot out on you know so I, I think it's good for the viewers because there's always something new to watch but you know there used to be those days too when uh, when you were really like te like tied into a, a series and all of a sudden the network cancels it and you have these big campaigns and boycotts and people viewers saying you know bring it back and demanding that it worked for a few shows like Lucifer I think that was a show that was on network TV and then it, it got moved over to streaming and Yep. had a new life there so so i think we're going to see more of that i think network stuff especially you know with as nostalgic as as the cycles are with viewership i think you know people your age and my age were nostalgic for the 70s and the 80s and so we're going to see some of those old sitcoms and old shows re-envisioned and brought back and rebooted and you know that's just the cycle that we go in and you know next decade it'll be the 90s Next decade, it'll be the 2000s, and you know it's it's all about viewership and attracting eyes and and nostalgia because we we all crave to be reminded of those those glory days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they'll pass you by. Uh, yeah. Um, I I should obviously we focused on a, a lot of acting and especially film acting, but I should mention you do a lot of other stuff. Um, uh, you do voiceover stuff, I believe, and you do singing as well. Um, are those, do those help, do you think at all with the, the acting? I guess, presumably, I, I know you've done some stuff on stage. Have you, I guess the singing plays into that pretty easily, <laughs> one would think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I think it all, it all flows, it all connects. I mean, it's all, it all really pit, orbits around the voice. So voiceover, singer, actor, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's all, the voice is, 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 is in the center of all three of those things. And then, you know, it, it's basically just, okay, what skill do you want me to use today on this project? And, you know, I, I auditioned recently for something and got a call back actually earlier today and found out during the call that it was actually for a voiceover project. I, I thought maybe it was a fully full live action, you know, acting gig, but really it was to be the voice of something, um, which, you know, those, those gigs are nice because when you're doing a voiceover, sometimes it, it means that you don't have to go to set. You just record it either at home or in a, in a studio they send you to, you know, you have a short day, you get it all in the can and it's like, you don't actually have to physically act it out because you're thrown either on top of an animation or, or someone is in a costume, you know, lip syncing to what you've recorded. So, yeah, I mean, those things are kind of fun. It's, I just see it as variety. I see it as, okay, this is another facet of how I can make money and how I can use whatever it is that I have. Yeah, no, that's, again, it's something I like to hear because that's kind of the philosophy uh, of I'm, I'm kind of, I, I'm, I've been told I'm going to be narrating a documentary. Uh, so I'll have to sit in a studio for a day and just read. Uh, I'm like, it doesn't cool. sound like the worst thing in the world. Oh, I mean, and you know, you'll, you'll meet the engineer and 
you know, and, and when, once it comes out, you'll have people hearing it, hearing your voice, you know, it's just, you know, marketing in general is just cumulative. It's all, it's all, it, it adds up, you know, it's, it's all these little, these little impressions that are made. And um, I don't think you can, unless you're a supercomputer, I don't, don't think you can quantify it. You know, you just have to, like you say, don't say no, just say yes to everything, just throw it all out there and, you know, keep that, keep that pipeline going. Cause if you've got a good pipeline, then that means you've got things you've, 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 you've applied for or auditioned for that are, that are waiting. You've got things you were called back for. You've got things that you filmed that haven't come out yet. And you've got, you've got, um, things that are in the film temple circuit. You've got things that are in the theaters. You've got things that are playing on TV, but they're all like in different times, different phases of, of your pipeline. And in this career, it's just good to have a full pipeline so that, you know, once you're done promoting the, the thing that's on TV now, that thing you just, um, you just finished, then cycles into that spot. And now you're talking about a new project. So the, the idea is just to keep it flowing. Awesome. I, I like that. Uh, I, I would be remiss. I mentioned before we started recording, I, I kind of wanted to, to broach this topic with you um, because it's, it's oddly enough, just the subject of adoption, something that uh, my kids were asking me about last week. Like it's just been in the ether and it's like, well, I, that must mean I, I need to talk to them about it. Sure. Um, yeah. Why not? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, you, you, I know you were adopted at, uh, I think 29 days old. Yeah. Yeah. All 29 days. Um, so yeah, I was, I was adopted in West Palm beach. Um, um, and I, um, you know, Florida, I think it still is. It was at the time is, is a, a sealed, a, a sealed record state. So it was a closed adoption, meaning that, um, you don't know the names of the birth parents. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was brought up in Green Acres, Florida, um, by two lovely, loving parents. But I think, um, I mean, just to give you an overview of my feeling of my adoption experience, I, I always felt a little bit, um, like I didn't fit in, you know, my parents that adopted me looked a lot different from me. You know, they, they had their own taste that I didn't necessarily feel like were my tastes. I'm sure every kid feels that way though, but, but I, I feel like it was more so that way for me because I was adopted. And, um, you know, there's some, some interesting factors that went into my upbringing and, um, um, you know, it, it might take too long to get into, but one of the things that, that happened was um, I found out later when I did actually reunite with my birth mother um, that, uh, she, uh, that her family tried to get me back and, um, there was a social worker involved in that and that pressure actually changed the way I was brought up because, um, when, when the social worker contacted adoptive parents and said, oh, the birth mother is interested in getting him back. So make sure you don't, he never gets injured. He never gets in trouble. He never, nothing bad ever happens because if he does, we're, you know, big wicked HRS, we're going to come in and take him back and give him to his birth mother. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm over dramatizing it a little bit, but, but the idea is that 
that created an overprotective sheltered environment. I was already an only child. So really I, I, I spent most of my childhood in my bedroom reading comic books, um, not, not driving my bicycle off of the street. I couldn't go around the block by myself. I had to be chaperoned if I ever went on school trips, you know? So it's very, very kind of like claustrophobic kind of upbringing, but they love me very much. And I understand that. And now that I understand the bigger picture, I understand now more about why I was so sequestered growing up, you know? So it's kind of interesting to, to have that, to have that information now. Um, I've also identified my birth father's side, um, although he and I uh, haven't spoken. Um, he was, I guess, engaged at the time of my conception and um, um, is still married to the woman that he was engaged to back then. Not your mother. Daughters. No, not, not oh, okay, my birth okay. mother. Yeah, a, different, a different person. So, so I, I think to protect his current wife, he doesn't really want to accept that I exist. Um, but I connected with his daughters because they were um, they had registered on 23andMe. And oh. so we were connected genetically as half-sister, half-brother. And I knew that I didn't recognize their name from my maternal side, who I'd already known you know, everything about. So that's how I realized it was the birth father's side. So um, we all talk, we're friends, like my, my, my half-sisters and I, and my, um, my birth mother and, and uh, my aunts on my maternal side, we're, we're all uh, speaking. So it's nice to have a, a, a bigger orbit of friends and to know more about my own biological heritage, my, my possible health precursors, things I need to look out for now that I'm getting older. Um, right. So those, those are some of the big question marks. And as an adoptee, you walk around looking at everyone, wondering if you're related to them. So it's nice to have answers, to know who I am actually related to. And, and, and not have to look in the eyes of every stranger and think, could, could that be like a cousin? Could that be my, my sister, you know? So. Right. Yeah. That's, and how old were you when, uh, when I guess you were told or you found out that you were adopted? Yeah, I think I always knew. I never have a memory of not knowing and there being a big reveal. So I think I was told <laughs> from, 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 from before I can even remember, you know, um, I do remember one, one event in fourth grade, uh, Mrs. Wazalewski, my homeroom teacher, uh, we were doing show and tell, and I, I explained to the class that I was adopted, and she stopped me and shut me up, and she said, I've met your parents, Raymond Buffer, and I know that you're not adopted. Go see the principal. So I had to go to the principal's <laughs> office, explain to him what just happened, that he called my parents, my parents came in. They had Mrs. Wazalewski come in, and uh, the next day, uh, she had to explain what adoption was and apologize to me in front of the class. That's... And we went, but but I, I always remember she told me when she when she accused me of lying, she said, "Your head is full of soup." <laughs> but, that's... So that that's the ultimate insult in my fourth grade mind now. That that, that my head is full of soup. I'm. I'm totally going to use that on my children, <laughs> but that re reminds me of, and, and sadly, she just died uh, last week, but I, the, those weird interactions with teachers, I was, I think in seventh grade, 
And uh, my religion teacher was talking about, I went to a Catholic school, but we were learning about Judaism. And uh, she, she said something about, you know, well, only Jews get circumcised. And I'm, I raised my hand. I'm like, well, I'm circumcised. She's like, no, you're not. You're not Jewish. And I'm like, I mean, I'm not Jewish, but should I pull out my penis? Yeah, show and tell. Yeah, that didn't go over well, but but I still really, it's one of those weird things where it's like, why are you accusing me of lying? I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> In the defense of, 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 of her and your teacher, I, I, you know, kids are liars a lot of times. So I guess you, you always have to be on the lookout or assume that that's the case. But yeah, that was a, it's not often that a seventh grader's penis is the dis- classroom discussion. <laughs> so sticks with you a little bit and and i mean it's not only jews that are circumcised so i just find that that's the unusual uh, unusual choice of uh education that she she picked that day yeah um yeah definitely not correct (laughs) (laughs) i understand they have a ceremony and all that the bris but so so i get i get that aspect but it's like eh, no i think it's pretty common (laughs) yeah yeah very interesting maybe it's a male female thing maybe she just didn't uh she doesn't didn't really quite understand all the permutations of of masculinity or something i I don't know it's interesting yeah in hindsight my thought is you know maybe she just you know the only guy she's been with maybe is her husband and obviously he's not jewish and he obviously is not circumcised (laughs) um or maybe or maybe there was just one article about it in Reader's Digest back in the day, and that's all she read about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you nowadays you can hop on Pornhub, and it, it, unless you're assuming every actor in there is Jewish, you, you know, you're. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, well, I maybe they are. Maybe that's maybe that's a subject for for another uh, classroom discussion. Oh, how many? We need to... How many porn? How many Jewish porn stars are there? Why do the Jews control the porn industry? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Word. We just uncovered a consp- massive conspiracy. I don't know who it really affects. I think, but <laughs> I think it should be a documentary and you should narrate it. <laughs> there we go. That's it's my next job. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I... I going back to adoption real quick just to summarize i i i support the idea of adoption i'm glad i was adopted i'm glad that my mother chose to give me up and and let someone else raise me rather than aborting me but i am also pro-choice so i mean i understand i i believe women have the, have the right to choose what they're doing with their bodies but i'm i'm grateful that my mother chose to give birth yeah, it's it's got to be tough, and I do like the the stories where people do discover their their birth parents, which I think nowadays has got to be substantially easier than it was, you know. And I'm not sure how long ago you did it, but now you mentioned 23 and me. I mean, I, I know that some people have discovered siblings that they didn't know their parent had; they had no knowledge, but. The thing said that hey, you've got a half sibling out there. Um, 
Uh, that was exactly what happened to my to my half sisters when I when I when I emailed them and said, "Hey, look, we're a match," and they're like, "Oh, well, we thought that was an error. We thought that was a mistake." I'm like, "Well, no. I mean, you could think of it that way, but um, but no, I'm real." And uh, yeah, no. I, but you know, before 23andMe, we didn't have that. We didn't have DNA tests. So you know, I had to hire a company called Kin Solving back in the early 2000s, and they're the ones who actually um, got access to my closed records and then, um, you know, essentially sold them to me. Um, and so that's how I was able to knock on doors on the maternal side of my family. But the paternal side, I'm leaving that alone, you know, out of respect for, for my birth father. And, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable just having a, a polite, um, a, a, a polite relationship with my half sister. Yeah, no, that's a, I, I, your attitude is great about it. And it's, it is, this goes back to what you were saying of uh, kind of, you know, every passing stranger thinking, am I related? I, in my, in my head, in my deranged mind, I always think I would have a hard time trying to date because I'd always be like, well, could this person be a relative? And uh, there was a story about a, a married couple who on 23andMe found out they were first cousins or Oh, something like that. And, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't know because it was a, a, a cheating situation where it was not really a, you know, nobody would have ever put the dots together. Uh, right. DNA did. So they're That's, kissing cousins. Yeah. And I, I believe they got divorced, uh, which I guess I can't blame them. <laughs> Be so awful though if it was a happy marriage. I guess he must have been Jewish then. He must have been circumcised. He he probably was, and that's yeah. <laughs> he took a break from the porn the porn studio and married his cousin. And, oh, mm -hmm. that's that reminds oh. me how much of of Pornhub is uh you know stepmother stepsister type porn stepdaughter. I'm like I don't I don't like any of this. This is. <laughs> yeah 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 it's a, a weird society La oh last thing i wanted because you talked about uh comic books uh were you more of a dc or marvel guy um i still am a dc guy how uh i respect i respect marvel i like what disney's doing with marvel and you know i, I like the stuff that's coming out i look forward to watching it when it comes out but I've always been a DC guy. It, it seems like they took separate, I think DC was trying from a cinematic, obviously comic books are a little different than the cinema, but uh, it seemed like they were trying to kind of do the same thing, make a cohesive universe that just movie after movie was played off of, you know, everything played together. Uh, it seems like they, DC just kind of abandoned that unless I'm, Unless I'm missing something. I still haven't seen the latest Batman movie. Yeah, I think you're missing something. Uh, DC, they're doing the multiverse, the same. Uh, but they are actually doing the multiverse before Marvel did. But I think Marvel's quicker about releasing stuff and getting it produced. So, you know, the next Flash movie, I think, is going to tie in um, a lot of different elements because they're bringing Michael Keaton back as Batman in the new Flash movie. Are they? Okay, right? I heard that as a rumor so, and I thought that can't be true. <laughs> No, it is. And so, and the, so they're tying in uh, different parts 
you know, and they did this on the, the, the they did this on the TV series too. They did the Crisis on Infinite Earths storyline on the CW, and and where they brought in um, different different very variations of the superheroes. They and they even included the Flash from from the DCEU. Uh, he made an appearance in in that series. So so I think they're they're trying to stretch it and say essentially everything you've seen in a DC property is on an alternate parallel universe and they could cross over at any given time. So, you know, Chris, Christopher Reeves, Christopher Reeves, bless his heart, is out there flying around somewhere. And if he were still alive, he could, he could come fly in in the next Superman movie, you know, it's, but basically it's like anything and everything is open. And I think Marvel's doing the same thing with the Dr. Strange movie coming out and, and what they've done with the Spider-Man um, so yeah, it's uh, it's cool, but I, I'm also more of a Star Trek person than a Star Wars person. Well, I I I'll side with you on that one for sure. <laughs> the, uh, I never I I told people I tried for years to watch the Star Wars movies, and one day I'm like, all right, I got the the first three, which are episode four, five, and six, I think. I got the first three, and I'm like, I'm gonna watch these all this weekend. And I fell asleep about seven times while I was watching the movie. I'm like, this just isn't interesting to me. But you put on any of the Star Treks, it's like, I can get into this, especially next generation. Yeah. yeah. I've, been, yeah. I've been digging Picard. So those, those are my dream jobs, to work in, on a Star Trek property or, or a DC Comics uh, property sometime, some, somewhere along the way, somewhere in Hollywood. Yeah, well, instead of Arnold, maybe you can be the next Mr. Freeze. I think, you know, you got the big imposing. I don't know how Mr. Freeze is in the comics, but obviously Arnold's a. (laughs) I've been told I I resemble David Arbor, who who played uh, Red Guardian in the Black Widow movie, you know. So so if I do a cosplay character, that would probably be my cosplay character. Yes, I I was going to say that, but I've said that to other people and they're like, Oh, really? I've never heard that before. And I'm like, ah, maybe I shouldn't make those comparisons anymore. <laughs> so it would be like you at that wedding. I, I, I would not go up to David Harbour and say, hey, if you ever need a ever need a stand in or a body double, I could be I could be your your I could be like you, you know. Yeah, it wouldn't go over well, probably. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it, it's interesting when you when you are like, has anyone ever told you you sound like this person? No. I'm like, oh, am I weird or <laughs> yeah it depends on what weight i am sometimes i'd get john goodman i'd get drew carey i'd get patrick swayze you know it just depends on if i was you know 180 pounds at the time or 240 or 280 or 350 i i got up to 350 once and that's that's not a healthy weight for me so oh yeah it's I credit, uh, i've i've gotten any dude with black hair and brown eyes I've had people be like, you know, you look like him. I'm like, I don't look like Adam Sandler. And not at all. <laughs> he just has the very basic. I guess I look like every Jewish actor, even though I'm Italian. So. Well, hopefully they haven't seen you. They haven't all seen you from the waist down, you know? Yeah, well, then I'm, yeah. Then I'm, uh, Jason Biggs is another one. That's the one that's the most offensive to me. It's Jason Biggs. I'm like, Jason come on. <laughs> you, well, you you can do better than that. <laughs> I don't look like Jason Biggs. <laughs> yeah, well, if they're redoing American Pie and they want a, a guy in his mid-30s to be the, you know, 
Jason Biggs type. Right. I'll I'll totally shave and. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, in, in, you do like apple pie, right? Not as much as he did. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> not not. I, I don't know if anyone should like it as much as he did. Uh, well, Ray, I will. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hold you hostage uh, any longer. But is there? Um, is there a place people should go to find you? And obviously I'll link everything you say in the, uh, in the show notes, but where can people find you? Well, I mean, you know, there's this magical Google machine. You can just type my name into it and probably everything, everything and anything will come up. But uh, raybuffer.com is my website. Uh, you can even connect with me on um, Instagram at the real Ray Buffer. Uh, but again, just put me in a search field and something, something interesting will pop up. Oh, I got some. Oh, I'm just. I'm sorry. I was looking on Pornhub instead of Google. So. Oh no, that's 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 Ray Fluffer. Ah, that's, that's that, I was going to say it, yeah. it auto corrected. No. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a different guy. Yeah. Right. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, and uh, uh, you know, I I, I look forward to uh, seeing you in a in a DC property in the near future. <laughs> From your mouth to, to, to God's ears. Amen. Yes. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. It was nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Ray. All right. Take care. All right. That's it. That's all. Hope you had a ball. That's it. That's the episode, folks. Uh, thank you, Ray Buffer, for joining me. I uh, look forward to seeing you more on the uh, TV screen, on the big screen. Um, Fun chatting with Ray. Uh, I talked your ear off before this episode, so I'll be quick on my way out the door. Thank you for listening. Uh, I am truly very, very appreciative. Uh, I have a uh, very full calendar lined up uh, for uh, upcoming guests, so I'm excited to continue to bring you great people like Ray. Uh, in the future. So make sure you're subscribed or following uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Give me a follow on the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram. Uh, All of those links are in the show notes. And uh, I don't know if I can link TikTok in the show notes. I should probably look into that. But I'm on TikTok now. Uh, So there's that. Um, Check me out there. Uh, be on the lookout, and uh, hey, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Maybe I'll throw my YouTube channel in the show notes. Uh, you know, maybe drunken uh, Uber Eats late night uh, food. That, that might be my calling. Uh, if you if you like to watch me eat, that, that that the more I think about it, the more I think that's really creepy. But anywho, hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you. Uh, check out Ray and all of his links. I hope you check out me and all of my links. Obviously, if you're listening this long, well, I very much appreciate you and thank you for listening to the Jeff Macalino podcast. Uh, Take care of your skin and get some geology products at the link in the show notes. And uh, hey, that's it. Peace out. See you next week.